This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Saturday, October 26th of 2019, it's episode 165. In this episode, Mike Perna joins us to talk about unlikely heroes, plus our favorite sandwiches as player characters, Hellboy, Uncle Iroh, more Hellboy, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Greg. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Mike. Right on time. Well done. Yep. How's it feel to be back on the every mics? 33. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We've done this five in a row now. <laughs> this is a this proper actually, tradition, folks. Yeah, this may actually be the one tra- tradition we've managed to maintain. <laughs> Which is hey, funny because we, we literally we literally stumbled into it. Yeah. yeah. We we, yeah. we have finished two lengthy series. I mean, one of them had a year-long gap in the middle, but we've mm-hmm. done it. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Oh, Mike, how you doing, man? I'm. We'll call it good. I, I will say. All... I will say that the you know the 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 net positive is there. So good. Yeah, good. I know you have been under a lot of stress. Uh, we know that you know normally we record during the week. Your schedule is wacky and. All that good stuff. So we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, very much. I, I, I so. would. I would mm-hmm. sooner. I would sooner cause grievous bodily harm to my person than let every thirty-three die. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We appreciate that. On the off chance somebody does not know, I mean, they could have started listening thirty-two episodes ago. We don't know, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, if somebody doesn't know who you are, why don't you fill everyone in on who Mike Perna is? Uh, you know, as soon as you said that, I really wish I'd gone back because recently on another pod, another podcast that we're friends with, um, a certain group of people declared me a what, what is it the, the Archduke of Christian Ministry Gaming Internet? I think that sounds right. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember. I, mean, I, I think saw that someone... is the the title that the uh, that the king gave you. Yes. Yeah. So. The way I got that is basically partly because I'm a wicked extrovert that loves talking to people about this nonsense, but a lot of it comes from the fact that I'm the president of Inroads Ministries. I will call it used to be. I Who knows? Because right, right now we're in hiatus. We're discussing what the show looks like after we come back. But as of right now, a former host and definitely still consultant on the Game Store Profits podcast, I pretty much run a, a show called The Barden Bible, which is a weird little animal of a story-based devotional podcast, which is more devotional than storytelling people like and more story than devotional people like. So, you know, uh, hey, but we, those people can speak for themselves. That's one of my favorite podcasts. Every time I see a new episode, I just about trip over myself downloading and playing it. So, well, thank you. You mentioned my my crazy life schedule recently, and it has led me to delay the current episode a couple times. I'm hoping that I can kind of ride the wave of recording with you guys and get that one recorded and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, it's about God telling Elijah, "Hey, dude, seriously, here's some snacks and some and a place to sleep. Just chill." <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a message that you yourself could use right now. So, well, I thought it was I thought it was oddly fitting, not only because of just life in general, but because I'm literally following a massive project called The Good Orc, which is a retelling of the Good Samaritan and the weird fictional world that kind of 
organically grew up out of the intro to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So that was multiple weeks of bringing multiple people from multiple continents together (laughs) to record (laughs) audio. Um, Have the two of you heard this thing yet or? No, not at all. No. Oh, it's so good. I'm so behind on everything. It is probably my favorite retelling of the story of the Good Samaritan I have ever heard. Awesome. Like well, it, it will literally give you chills. You'll also recognize a couple of the voices, but okay. I'm super, really, I'm really super, good. I'm super blessed to know people. When I I threw out, hey, I want to do this project. I think it'll be really fun. It could be a really cool way to to just explore these texts in a, a way because when you take them out of the world without just doing straight allegory, because I don't like straight allegory, but to really study the text and to to look at it another angle and kind of really get in there and put it somewhere else, you get to see nuances that you wouldn't see otherwise. Like one of the things that I did with this story is I let it be mostly told recounted by the guy who got the crap kicked out of him and left for dead on the road. Hmm. Yeah. I brought in the actual attack. (laughs) All (laughs) stuff. the, The biblical account doesn't, doesn't share because really for the sake of the biblical account it it doesn't matter so i i brought all that stuff in and uh it's really it's really fun well i i threw that out to the world and before i knew it my friends who are semi-professional voice actors said i'm down and i said (laughs) do i do i need to ask the board to pay you and they're like no i got another guy who's like oh yeah by the way i i have uh, access to BBC recording studio because oh, I work I work for the BBC. Uh, do you want me to record something? Yeah, yeah, sure. You can you can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things where it was a ton of work and it was an amazing process and I loved every minute of it. And everybody, everybody is asking me when I'm going to do more of them. And it's just, it took me two weeks of solid work. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> to get yeah. 15 minutes of audio. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The best line in that whole thing is, no, but I'm sure you will anyway. And yes. without context, that means nothing. But when you hear that line, you'll you'll be like, oh, oh. <laughs> Sp- spoken by the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Monzo. Uh, yeah, that I, I wrote that line and I'm like, that's a good line. And then he read it and I'm like, oh, no, that's a that's a real good line. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, it was a. Like, seriously, like, Grant and Jenny, like, you know, on one of your commutes or something, it's it's only, mm. like Mike said, like 15 minutes. It's so, so worth it. So. Mm. But yeah, anyway. so, so yeah, that that's what Barden Bible is up to lately, uh, putting that stuff together. I also have, I'm, I'm putting together a kind of a side project of that as well. When, the same time I came up with these, the parables episodes, which is me recounting scripture, there's another thing that I do called the Bard Project, which is biblical articulation read deliberately because my, do we love an acronym? <laughs> and uh, it's basically me reading a text because a while ago I just read the Book of Lamentations at for an episode. And it is by far the most commented on the most appreciated and the most downloaded episode I ever created. So I realize that sometimes it's really cool just to give people a text and let them sit on it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I want to do Bible texts, but other times I just want to do stuff that 
I think, I don't know, communicates biblical truth, even though it's not biblical text. To to date, I only have one of them out there, but uh, I kind of just kicked the doors in, as it were, because <laughs> the very opening one I did was the ending monologue from The Great Dictator. Oh, yeah. Which is exceptional. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that was also um, quite good. If you've never seen The Great Dictator, it's Charlie Chaplin's first uh, and I believe only spoken part in a movie. And uh, it's phenomenal. It's an amazing film. and that- It's so good. It's extremely funny. It's excellent satire. And is also incredibly heartfelt and powerful. Yes. And, and that, that ending monologue is the stuff of legends. It got to the point oh, that yeah. I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it. And I don't really do these special episodes on a schedule. I just do them when I feel like it. And I had to keep putting it off because of the fact that you really have to just scream like, oh my goodness, the amount of editing I had to do on that episode to not completely peek out reading that that piece at the end of it. But I, so I had to wait until my wife and son weren't around. But uh, so, yeah, so th- I've got those going. And really, at the moment, when I find time to do inroads related stuff, it's the combination of incredibly boring stuff, which is because our family just moved. I have to do all the fun paperwork to bring the uh, headquarters of inroads ministries from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. Hmm. And on the fun aspect, I'm gearing up to go to PAX Unplugged to bring the Dwarf Bard to Philly once again nice. and uh, collect more people's stories. Awesome. So even though you haven't been recorded, you have been quite busy. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I've pretty much, and this is something that's actually going to show up uh, in the episode of Bard and Bible, you know, which I'm re- referring, to, uh, I, what did I, how did I officially word it? I think I officially worded it, uh, a nap and a snack. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I'm going to, I, I mentioned is, is I actually had a, a, a kind of, I don't know. It's kind of, it kind of literally is a come to Jesus moment as I was working one night because, uh, because we're a podcast and because we're a ministry that needs to be supported, we have swag. And, uh, I of course buy my own swag because why wouldn't I? <laughs> and, uh, I, the one T-shirt is is it's just the little dwarf bard character that I I created a while ago, and it just says your resident dwarf bard, which is, you know, the introduction of of Bard and Bible is I'm Mike Perna, your resident dwarf bard. This is the Bard and Bible, and uh, I had this real kind of crazy moment of even when you're doing something else, which at this point I'm a custodian. I'm an I'm a over uh, not overnight. I'm a night shift custodian at a special needs school. Mm. That's what I do for my living right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm staring in the in the mirror, looking at me wearing my dwarf bard shirt as I'm clean, literally in the bathroom cleaning toilets. And I realize that that even though that's what I do for my paycheck, that's what I do to get an amazing benefits package to take care of my wife and son. That doesn't change the fact that I'm still here to do this ministry. So. Basically, the reason that I keep doing it is because I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, it's going to be hard to follow that with our, kind of our normal news and notes, but we probably should. Um, we should. As our first one, yeah. first little bit of news and notes, there is something I want to plug, which is another bit of geek ministry and uh, geek Christian conversation, and that is the Dungeon Pastors. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Hey, 
I, I'm I'm proud to say that they're called that because I suggested it. <laughs> well done. I'm proud of you for that because that's a really good name. And I mean, Peter's suggestion of saving the game was a good one, but yeah. ah, dang it. Dungeon Pastors is really good. <laughs> yeah. and I'm a little mad. That. <laughs> uh, so Dungeon Pastors, the Dungeon Pastors. This is, uh, you know, some good friends of the show. Specifically, That's... Stephen Taylor and Derek White. Who, uh, Derek, exactly. you have heard on here multiple times. Yep. And Stephen Taylor runs Games for All out of the UK, and they are on YouTube. I'll make sure to link their channel. And as of this recording, they are they do not have a podcast feed set up, but I suspect by the time that this publishes and goes live, they will. So check the show notes for that. Um, they're really good. Uh, first episode I got to listen to, and it's excellent. I've seen some previews of forthcoming episodes, or at least the topics, and you're going to want to keep listening. It's exciting. It's awesome. Have at. Yeah, it's good to see them doing this, because I, you know, I if you've ever heard Derek on our show or any yeah. of the other ones that he's been on, he's a really interesting guy. And that was amazing. Steven is also a really interesting guy. I just haven't hadn't heard him as much before this, so it was... Nice to see him, like, actually getting on mics and sharing some ideas and stuff. It was pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I second the recommendation. Definitely go and check that out. You will be yeah, glad you have did. Have fun with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Peter? Yeah. So, um, as I've been kind of talking about for the last uh, couple of months or so, um, I started a new 5th edition D&D game on Sundays with... Some of our listeners, we had our first session uh, last week. They um, did something that was so unexpected that I actually had to like reach out to Grant for advice, and he gave me some very <laughs> I had to good talk advice. Talk you off the proverbial GMing ledge. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was kind of a stressful morning, anyways, and so it was. I wasn't in the best frame of mind to be thinking about it, but I kind of needed to. <laughs> sure, that's how time works. And yeah, not only did you talk me off the ledge, but you also helped me come up with some um, recurring, well, potential recurring themes, depending on which way they go with it. And uh, as I kind of ruminated on our conversation, I got some additional ideas beyond that, which I might be sharing with you at some point in the future just to see what you think of those. But obviously, that's something we can do off the mics and later. But yeah, yeah it it was a it was a good session. I just was really surprised by one of the things they did. So, but you know that's that's good. Like if you're never kept on your toes as a GM, it can get boring quickly and uh, you get rusty. So I'd rather exactly. have that than the opposite extreme. And players are so good at doing exactly what the GM does not expect. Yeah, yeah. It was you know it was like okay you know I. I figure they'll do this and this, and it's like, no, no, they did none of that. <laughs> they, did, mm-hmm. they did this other entirely different thing at the very beginning of the session, which set them up to, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that, there's this wonderful little Tumblr meme that has made the round through gaming circles, and many of our listeners probably know it, but it's, you know, fundamentalist fear-mongering video. This dungeon master has complete <laughs> control of the players, and they must do everything he says. Real GM. Please, all of you, just cross the river. Yeah. You've all tried to seduce the catfish and it didn't work. Please move on. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I still say, like, I've had a couple, like, 
I think everybody who's ever GM'd a game of anything ever has had those stories. But I've had a couple that are truly legendary. Like the people in those games, though those games are years old now, still talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite one, which I might you know have mentioned in one of the past handful of times I've been here, is is the infamous Big Wheel guy, where I had this whole carnival set up, and there was like a dozen different things in this carnival that these guys could have gone to that were plot heavy and character important. They went to the only thing that wasn't, which was this carny, this this burnt out carny running the Ferris wheel. And and he was basically, it was like, is big wheel. You go up. It's all it is. Two dollars. <laughs> like, they thought he was the best thing ever. <laughs> the other, the only other one I had was I ran a Numenera game where this one guy picked up a metal dog. It was a little robot dog. And the, the whole concept that, that it was sold on was the fact that it could find anything you ever wanted. But every huh. time he asked it something, it would kind of rear back on its hind legs and go, arf, arf, object not found. <laughs> <laughs> he asked that thing. I, I thought, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a cute thing, a little cute like like character moment. He'll say it like four times. He'll get it out of his system. The dog on there. No, every session, every oh, five minutes, gosh. he had to ask the dog if he could find it. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. He was just determined to get the value out of that. He was going to find He was going to find something. Yep. <sighs> uh, that's good. All right. Uh, one other thing. So I was talking right before we started recording. Uh, we took a family trip to the library today, got a bunch of books. My wife cleared the shelf of Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. And Ginny mentioned something fascinating about her library. Yeah. yeah. So, it says something about the local demographic, I think. Um, we had, like, no classic mysteries at all. Like, we had no Agatha Christie. We had no Sherlock. We had no Arthur Conan Doyle at all. Uh, we had no Shakespeare. And I brought those into the library. I just... I mean, well done. I'm struggling to comprehend this. I mean, yeah. Thank you, first of all. Thank you for doing this. As soon, I mean, I, I kind of understand how, right? Yeah, it's because small it's library, not James it's, Patterson. I'm saying the name. It's not James Patterson. Get over yeah, James no. Patterson, please. It is, As a it former is not bookseller, book club thrillers. Yes, get over James Patterson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oprah book club thrillers, basically. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, pr- pretty much. And 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 some other stuff. Like, like there, there are some... Authors that I had never heard of before, probably never will again. Um, Marin Montgomery, who is a self-published ebook author who suddenly started putting her stuff out on Amazon, caught the eye of one lady, and now everyone and their dog has to have a Marin Montgomery book. You know, I I don't know. I'd never heard of Marin Montgomery. Anyway, um, yeah, maybe we had no she's good. I mean, like the. The Babaverse author's pretty good. He was recommended yeah. to us by a mutual friend. I'd never heard of him before either. Some of exactly. those Exactly. So anyway, um <laughs> but yeah, we had no Agatha Christie. And I when I I I get the impression this is basically how every librarian there has started. I basically cleared my own personal shelves as soon as I got hired of any book that I didn't really care about anymore but was still good and then processed that. So there's like this massive surge of new books. As soon as mm. a new 
librarian gets hired there. One of the things also that happens in my town is we have a secondhand store uh, that where all the proceeds go towards the hospital auxiliary. It's it's okay. It's awesome. And so they have a deal there where you get a plastic bag and it's you fill it with books for a dollar. It doesn't okay. matter how many books are in there. One bag of books is a dollar. So if I see a book at our local secondhand store that I like, and it's generally only one, I will also fill it with books that I think my library needs. Fair. And that way I can deal with budget things a lot easier. So some fool got rid of all their Agatha Christie. <laughs> And I was like, I want this one book for me. Oh, Agatha Christie into the bag. And as soon as I put those all in the library, everyone was like, oh, I remember her. Like, like they just <laughs> forgot she existed. <laughs> and like, I don't think I've had Murder on the Orient I, Express on the shelf alive? more than two weeks. I, she's got to be pretty old if she is. She's dead. No, okay. no, she's she's, she's dead. Dead. she so was born. writing she was writing in the twenties. Okay, so she hasn't she been able to produce new material for quite yeah, some time. Exactly, so. but like no. people just forgot their old favorites because they've been so focused on other stuff. Um, sure, but yeah, basically, I I say we had almost no classics. That's not entirely true. We had Les Mis, we had a Leo Tolstoy, uh, Anna Karenina, and we had a complete Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, well, nice. that's and a nothing. couple others that I'm not recalling off the top of my head. So, so it's it's sure. not like it was a complete wasteland, but I can only recall three books, and our classics shelf is one shelf right now. <laughs> so, I and I well, mean like one shelf in a bookcase. So that that hurts me. It just it just hurts. Yeah, I mean, I it's also hard to classify what a classic is and is not. Technically, the Christies are not in the classics. Because sure. some of them were not published before World War II. And I hate splitting up an author, like an author's works. So they are not no, technically fair. in the classic section. So that's, that's I, I mean, in the uh, in our other branch, we have a copy of The Handmaid's Tale, first edition autographed in the classic section. So, so it's it, it's because it's a first edition autograph that it's in the classics. And the sequel not because to that just old. came out like a couple 85. of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, the sequel, The Testaments, uh, that was about a month ago. Oh, is that one? Wow, quite. time flies. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, no, so it's, uh, classics is a weird section. But yeah, no, we had almost no classics when I was there. We also <laughs> did not have a sci-fi section. I made that my own self. That's Good. just wrong. Like, Good work. All the yeah. books were just mixed in with all the other books, and it, it just sucked. That's actually how it is at our library. It's how it is um, at a lot of libraries. Yeah. Um, and it does yeah. annoy me, but the nice thing about it is our library system has uh, stickers that they put on the, the spine yeah. that classify it by genre. Yeah. like So you can quickly look down the shelf and say, these are mysteries, these are sci-fi, these are fantasy, these are whatever. Yeah. Um, so you can at least walk down the shelves and spot things. That's good. I also, I also have special stickers. All of the sci-fi stickers are... SF author first first three letters of their last name and then a bright blue sticker um, to, yeah. to separate it out from the AF because SF and AF are just too close and I don't want to yeah, leave yeah. anything to chance. <laughs> Sorry, AF? What am I? Yeah. Adult fiction. Adult fiction. Adult fiction. Okay. Yeah. And then Fair. the the kids books are JF or JPIC for juvenile fiction or juvenile picture books. YA right. is young adult. Um, and then uh, the Dewey Decimal Mess for, for nonfiction. <laughs> Yes, the old old Dewey Decimal. You could get me going on the Dewey Decimal system and it'd be a whole episode. 
Just look look up Melville Ugh. Dewey's Wikipedia page and rage about it. <laughs> okay. As I have. Fair. Fair. <laughs> All right. On that note. Yeah, on the Angry Librarian podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, we need one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, podcasts, by the way, uh, one of the reasons I am not caught up on Barden Bible is I found another podcast Uh-oh. called Pontifacts. Uh-oh, I know this one. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Um, I'm intrigued, though. They are going pope by pope through all the popes. <laughs> Was it like and a history thing, or...? It's it's a history thing. It's not specifically Christian, just, you know, in case anyone is expecting that. They're approaching it from a historical perspective, and occasionally a little bit... I'm not sure what the... the phrase I would use is they don't care about them necessarily as religious figures. Let's just say that. Okay. Uh, but historically it's fascinating and you know, they, they're trying to give them their due when it's appropriate. But of course there are some notoriously awful popes just Mm -hmm. as there are some notoriously good popes. Uh, and they have a fascinating little rating system for them, but it is really cool because they literally are starting with Peter and going through Francis, although, to be perfectly honest, by the time they've reached the modern day, they, Francis, bless him, will probably not be with us, and it'll be whoever yeah. the pope after that is, or maybe the pope after, because I think there's like 800 popes or something nonsensical. There's a ridiculous Holy number cow. of popes. I mean, like, it is <sighs> how many years, years and, and a lot of them are old. Like, a lot yeah, of them started yeah. a little bit old. So, to be clear, Peter, like the first pope, served 30 years and is the longest serving pope on record mm-hmm. oh boy so you know you had either old men made pope or young men made pope and then martyred yeah 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 that's true until probably the last five or six the mortality rate was pretty shockingly high right. yeah mm-hmm. but even then you know they're elected as you know, el- from the pool of elders in the Catholic Church and well-known elders. So yeah, yeah. So it's um, there's a lot of them, but it's a really <laughs> cool podcast. There's regular old, it. and then there's Pope old. <laughs> <laughs> Pontifex. Interesting. All right. Speaking of other interesting things, we have a Patreon question to roll for. Are we all ready for that? Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Let's do this. Oh, this is perfect because this just came in. Oh, really? Okay. This is yeah. Well, this this just, wasn't the one from great. today. Like the one, uh, from, the one from, you said literally came in like moments before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, it came in like this week, like Friday, I think. Oh, yesterday. This one. So it's fine. Uh, this is from John and Jenny Swan who ask, "What is your favorite sandwich, and how would you play it as a character?" <laughs> You guys go first, because there's no name for my favorite sandwich, but I will gladly describe it for you. But yeah, you guys go first. It's the second part. It's the second part that does it. I've been thinking about this question as soon as I saw it in my inbox. I still do not have a firm answer. You guys go first. That is is sublime. You peep- See, this has got to be inspired by the Wendy's RPG that came out. What my favorite sandwich is? No. Well, 
kind of, because I have a couple different answers that could go well there. Okay, okay, make mm -hmm. make a sandwich party while the rest of us think that. Well, no, (laughs) the the reason that I'm going to nail it down is because I automatically know what I would play one of them as, as a a character, depending on setting and and what I wanted to do. Because right, hit us up, Mike. You know, as a, a true Jersey-born native, uh, there is a, a sort of sandwich that some people I'm going to mention it, and they'll have no concept of what I'm talking about. Because I literally had firsthand knowledge that people don't know of this substance when I moved to Texas for grad school. Uh, it's a Taylor ham egg and cheese sandwich. I don't know what Taylor ham is. Taylor ham, also referred to as pork roll is an incredibly salty cured meat. Okay. It is amazing. Uh, you basically... I, I'll, I'll literally recount this short story to give you all plenty of time to think through your answers. Uh, I was down in Texas for years at this point, working through uh, my seminary degree, and uh, I, I had kind of befriended the local Italian grocer, because of course I would. And at one point, my buddy and I were just having sandwiches there and just hanging out. And he goes, Mike, I hear you're from New Jersey. I go, yes, I am. He goes, I got this substance. I, I, I'm I, pretty sure it's famous up there. I don't know what to do with it. And I go, okay. I'm a little confused, but whatever. And he says, it's called Taylor Ham. I go, what you do with that is you slice that thin and you sell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what do, you, what do you do with it? I go, you fry that up. You put it on, on, on a hard roll with a couple of uh, fried eggs, some cheese, and some ketchup, and some salt and pepper, and it is the greatest thing you will ever have in your okay, life. Okay, what kind of cheese? Uh, that depends on the person. Uh, to, to be kind of a classic in my head, it's either got to be cheddar or really just awful, you know, store-bought craft American cheese. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it is a New Jersey staple. It's to the point that I have friends from other states who would visit myself and my family when we were in New Jersey, and they would request that I get them a sandwich. <laughs> like, it is that kind of legend, uh, and I would definitely play it like a Guido from the Jersey Shore. <laughs> I would I would play that sandwich. I could, I could see it now in a Call of Cthulhu game. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to play it like... Like the situation, Jersey Shore Guido. I'm talking like old school. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about the kind of guy who who knows at least one family member who wears high high waisted Sansibelt slacks and is playing bocce in the backyard. That's the kind of Guido I'm talking about. Um, this is my family. This is who I love. By the way, my my <laughs> grandfather was that guy. <laughs> and uh, so. Like I would, I would, I would. That would be exactly what I, I would play him in a Call of Cthulhu game, and it would be glorious. Okay, I think I've actually got my answer. So I think my favorite sandwich is uh, what's just colloquially called a combo, but um, what it is is it's Italian beef and an Italian sausage on like a long hard roll, and then. I like the extra like greasy high calorie version where they melt mozzarella cheese on top of this. So this is not the on healthiest top. sandwich that I or on the bottom. It depends on the restaurant. Like like um, wait 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 wait. How do you pick it up? By is the this bottom an open of the face bun? sandwich? 
Okay, so you've you've got like um, is the, like, is the mozzarella cheese inside the bread or on the outside of the bread? It depends on the restaurant. So ah! you, 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 okay, so you start out with like a French okay. roll, like you know, mm. rectangular, very very dense, right? Mm. You slice that. You usually the way that this is made is an Italian sausage goes in the bottom, an Italian beef goes over the top of that, and then. Um, it usually, it seems like usually that's covered with like shredded mozzarella and then it's stuck under a broiler just long enough to brown the mozzarella on top. Uh. Sometimes the, the restaurant will line the, the roll with the mozzarella, drop the sausage on top of that, put the Italian beef on top of that. And then the heat from the meats melts the cheese. And that's really good too. It's, okay. it's good either way. I have no okay. preference, but at any rate, because that is three different kinds of protein in or four, if you count the gluten in the bun, which there's a substantial amount because it's a very hard, dense bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, that's got to be a barbarian. Like the- four different kinds of protein in one bite. Like that is a barbarian through and through. Mm-hmm. Just this- Sloppily covered in cheese. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not cheese, but just like this. I'm thinking like if we're going to go 5e, just this massive hulking dragonborn barbarian. Just Again, sloppily covered in cheese. <laughs> I mean, if that's your head cannon, who am I to argue? But yeah, head head cheese cannon. All right, somebody else. Okay, so I can mock somebody else for a change. Jenny, you or me? I I am now ready to describe my favorite sandwich. Okay. I will give you an ingredients list, starting with the bottom of the sandwich and going to the top. Ooh, Ooh, we're getting the engineering breakdown. Construct this along with you. This sounds good. (laughs) Okay. I invented this when I was about 12. My tastes have not changed drastically enough for the base idea of the sandwich to change. Okay. Big old slice of sourdough. Mayo. Mustard. Lettuce. Mustard. Pickle. Mustard. Montreal smoked meat microwaved for 30 seconds, just enough to get crispy on the, on the sides. Mustard. Mozzarella cheese. So mustard cheese. sandwich. Hang on, hang on. Mustard. Lettuce. Mustard. Mayo. Sourdough. All right, all right. This does sound like a mustard sandwich with bits in between to hold the mustard together. I have eaten this sandwich with a spoon before. In a bowl. Wow. Because it's- Impressive? I like mustard a lot. This is a a warlock if I ever saw one. (laughs) This is is a a goblin warlock if I ever saw one. (laughs) Now, I have to ask. This is an important question. Yes. What kind of mustard? Uh, Just bright yellow French. I've tried it with Dijon. It wasn't bad. It was not bad with Dijon. But part of the the point of it is that it is largely a liquid. Right. Okay. Okay, I see what you're saying. In case anyone is wondering, yes, my parents did refer to me as, like, one of the wizards from Unseen University for a long, long time. <laughs> I do Fair. still put ridiculous amounts of condiments on things. I I will use anything as a vehicle for blue cheese dressing. Because I mean, that's totally fair. Like, yeah. I'll use that as a dipping sauce for carrot sticks, and yeah, that's really good. I sometimes just, just... I have been known... To sort of casually have a few carrot, like three carrot sticks for a bowl of blue cheese dressing and then just 
eat the blue cheese dressing because I've had <laughs> I mean, my excuse to eat it and now I'm just going to finish it up. Um, I, I would say something, but I am that way with salsa. So I, I mean, uh, same. It's just that I'm currently on a blue cheese dressing kick. Okay. I can be that so, way with Caesar dressing too, actually. I used no, to be that way with Caesar, Caesar dressing. And if I've it's recently, creamy, I can't. I've recently found myself not able to eat as much garlic as I used to, which is really disappointing because I still like garlic. It just, it gives me a headache. I don't know why. Anyway, that's my sandwich. It is a goblin warlock. It's... I think from Ooh. now on you have to refer to it as, I'm making a goblin warlock. <laughs> okay. Oh, and and the uh, the patron is, of course, the mustard. Hmm. I mean, it does. See, no, I mean, the, the mustard here's is what, the patron. We, we it's like the acid abilities and stuff. You know, yeah. here's what makes it for me. Here's what makes it for me. It's actually the sourdough. Oh, okay. So the, the mustard is great, but it's nothing without the sourdough. The sourdough adds an extra. I love it's sour. Like I'm going for this for the sourness. The mustard is the offering to the sourdough. <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean, a good sourdough is. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so just real quick, since we're on sourdough, the mm. way my wife makes grilled cheese, mm. two slices of sourdough and, like, mm-hmm. aged sharp cheddar in the middle. It is impossible mm. to go back to a white bread and American cheese grilled cheese sandwich after you've had Well, I mean, nobody cheese. should do that anyway. Like, yeah. if we could just all collectively take our white bread and fire it into the sun. I mean, sourdough is a white bread. A favor. But I, no, sorry. I like, I mean our, like, Wonder packaged bread. The American Wonder bread. Wonder bread white bread. Yeah. yeah is yeah. garbage. Yeah. It, it's awful. Yes. Uh, okay. My sandwich. My, my mm. favorite sandwich. The Reuben. Mm. Classic okay. Reuben. It's a keeper. All right. So for those who don't know, this is uh, a grilled sandwich. It's important mm-hmm. that you grill it. And this is corned beef, preferably f- like sliced thin and piled thick and dense. And then Swiss cheese, sauerkraut, and Russian dressing all bet- grilled all together between two slices of rye bread. It's incredible. Mm. I think the character class... Assuming we're talking like a D&D character here for Reuben has to be a cleric. And hmm. I think specifically like a portly rotund cleric. Hmm. Okay. I don't know why, but like that's what's coming. That's what's coming together in my head for for the Reuben. You want to know what's strange in the world we currently live in? I immediately when you especially when you said for Reuben and you gave him a name. <laughs> <laughs> I I immediately thought of the fact that he is now another villain in the world of the Wendy's RPG. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> yeah, probably. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't get me started on the Wendy's RPG. Yeah, that we'll, was we'll be here all night. That was our yeah. thing in our Discord for about two days. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Anyway, uh, bizarre question and absolutely a delight. Thank you, John mm-hmm. and Jenny. No, that, I really that appreciate was fun. that. that yeah. was Look, fun. I've also I've been here. I've been here for a number of these. I've answered Patreon questions before. I'm used to them. I was not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever is. I don't think any uh, of us oh. were, except for maybe Jenny, who looked ahead. Here's the thing. And I I did not know what character it would be until yeah. oh. I started I, I talking second, about it and listing the ingredients, really. I second Mike's recommendation that it just be called the Goblin, the Goblin Warlock uh, right The Goblin now. Warlock. Yeah. From now, from now on, good. from this day forward, that sandwich is now the Goblin Warlock. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that, if Jenny is. Oh, yeah, sure. So, two things. First of all... Uh, Jenny, just so you know, 
my daughter's been really enjoying since we we mentioned Unseen University. Uh, my daughter's been absolutely loving Terry Pratchett's Dragons of Crumbling Castle. I am so I am not familiar with that one at all. I am aware of its existence. It's uh like but... Roll Doll level short stories. Okay. Cool. Uh, but by Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And they're just delightful and she's been having a blast. She loves them. Awesome. So for an advanced second grader, it's very, it's like exactly right for her. I feel like yeah. the sooner you can get started on Terry Pratchett, the better your life is going to be. Oh, yeah. So. And he, yeah, he made it a lot easier the later into his writing career that he mm-hmm. got. Because he actually yeah. started making kids books. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and good kids books. Yeah. Well, he didn't anyway. make bad books, but yeah, it was... I can say that I'm trying to raise Noah right because two of his favorite books now are Crazy Hair and Instructions, mm. both by the man, the myth, the legend, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's another good one to start him early on. Yep. Uh, and the other thing that I need to mention is that, of course, if you want to get your questions on the list, you can just go to patreon.com slash saving the game. And if you're not a patron, help support the show for as little as a dollar a month. That helps all of us out. And, of course, once you're a patron, or if you are a patron, you can just send questions in via Patreon messages, and we'll put them on our big list of questions, which you'll have access to, and we'll roll on them and see what comes up, and answer them, hopefully, eventually, on one of our shows. All right, so we've got a little bit of scripture to read, and then we're going to just kind of sit back and let Mike and Jenny talk for a while, and (laughs) you'll understand why in a bit. We're going to let the nerds take the stage. Yes. All right, so our first passage is Exodus 4, verses 10 through 12. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So we And we have... 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 12. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. And we have Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. All right, so, so Jenny, you want to introduce this under one? Under the guise of talking about unlikely heroes, Mike and I are going to talk about Hellboy today. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what you're about to hear is, you know, vague, you know, let's let's just paint with the broadest brush possible because my goodness we need to talk hellboy because somebody needs to 
Okay, yes. before we get deep in the weeds on that, let's lay a little bit of groundwork to make this useful as an episode, okay, though. So. I All right, guess. so unlikely yes. heroes. Somebody fill us in on unlikely heroes. So, it's important to differentiate between an unlikely hero and an anti-hero. An anti-hero is a character with a heroic narrative role, but not many, or perhaps not any, heroic traits. The quintessential example of this that everybody thinks of is the Punisher. <laughs> I got to teach a seven-year-old last night about anti-heroes because she saw a Dexter book. I was like, oh why does this one have bloody knives on the cover? <laughs> <laughs> because it's about fun. an anti-hero instead of an actual hero. That's why, kid. <laughs> well, cause here's the thing. He does technically sort of kind of kill bad people, but he's uh, not good So does the Punisher, guy. but neither yeah. one of them are yeah. good people themselves. Yeah, they're real bad. Yeah, again, he's filling that role, but with no heroic traits. Yeah. yeah. I literally got to teach her the word anti-hero. I, I felt so proud. And her Excellent. mom was like, oh, she's not going to get it. She got it almost immediately. Teach your kids about literary devices. Oh, yeah, they love them. Uh, now, we have to contrast the antihero to an unlikely hero, which mm -hmm. is what we're talking about here. Unlikely heroes are characters who turn out to be heroic, but come from some background or group or some status that is not normally traditionally associated with heroism. It's, mm -hmm. you know, a hero that is not somebody you would theoretically expect to be a hero in the narrative that's being told. Yeah. Yeah, so we gave you three biblical examples in our scripture, Moses, David, and Matthew. Moses had a stutter, David was the smallest and the youngest, Matthew was a tax collector. Mm -hmm. All three of those went on to do great things for God. Some other scriptural examples, uh, Paul started oh, out persecuting yeah. Christians and became the first theologian and very dedicated and one of the first martyrs. And yeah, uh, most of the 12, actually, uh, fishermen, zealots and all. Uh, Jesus himself, to a lot of the people of his day, poor tradesperson from Nazareth, didn't really read like a heroic resume back in the first century. Mm -hmm. And then it's a relatively common like narrative trope that you'll see in works of fiction. Quasimodo. I would, I would say these days the unlikely hero is more common it is. than a regular hero. Yeah. It's, in, in the or classic at least definition. Some, a hero with some unlikely attributes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you'll look at the... The place that I always go for, like, the likely heroes is the Marvel movies, right? You've got your, your usual kind of batch of, like, billionaires and soldiers and that sort of thing, but a lot of them get that little bit of an unlikely twist. So like Captain America starts off really scrawny, but he's got this really good heroic character. Iron Man has all these resources, but he struggles with, you know, like making bad decisions, both in his life and as a, a heroic character, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Spider-Man was one of the more famous early examples in that he was just kind of a regular teenager who gets bit by a spider and is like super reluctant about you know, being a, an actual hero until his uncle gets killed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Grant, you've just started watching the IP. No, the next one is from with no, your I, kid, I really haven't, haven't you? Or, okay. No, uh, I've just been told not to order it because Christmas. Um, <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> Uncle... Uncle Iroh. Iroh? Uncle Iroh. Uncle Iroh Iro. is on the bad guy team, but is a good dude who is ends up actively working against the bad guy team 
Spoilers. Uncle Iroh, I, the walking redemption arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, or, I, or enhancement arc? Eh, yeah. I guess redemption arc too. Because Zuko he is also... Yeah, like, I was like going to say, like, let's not Zuko get too spoilery, have... but he he's not the one who gets redeemed. He's He doesn't really need it. He's already a good guy. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, also, I, I will. I will never stop talking about how much I love Uncle Iroh. He is one of my mm-hmm. favorite characters, like in fiction. Like I oh, yeah. love that man so much. What and, a dude! Yeah, and oh my gosh. you you literally get to see everything about him. But for a large swath of the the series, he just seems to be the comic goofy, relief, the goofy old yeah. man who likes tea a little too much. And then you start getting into depth, and it's like, oh boy. And I then you Kleenex. get to leaves from the vine, I was and just you cry say, until you die. <laughs> when, when you when you see that man sit himself by a tree and start singing, just reach for the Kleenex now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Noted. Noted. Uh, and Bilbo I think and Frodo. one that we're all very familiar with is Bilbo and Frodo, Bilbo and Frodo from for sure. The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Tolkien makes a very uh, explicit point about how these are unexpected heroes, you know, very explicitly calls it out in the text. So, yeah. you know, Gandalf is like, who would have thought hobbits, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, in that Jersey voice, it's very clear in the text. And <laughs> All so, right. So, yeah. Commence your talking about Hellboy. The one, yeah. the one yes. thing that I will interject is if this makes you want to go out and game Hellboy, you are in luck. Steve Jackson games licensed it a while ago. It's there out is of print. There is a yes, but you can probably get the PDF from multiple sources. Probably yes. Um, the I will also say Steve this. Jackson Games went on Drive Through RPG recently, so it's yeah. almost certainly available there and on SJG's website. I will also say this. I know you know I'm bringing the board game in. Like I, I actually did an entire episode with the one time I showed up. Oh, yeah. There is an absolutely gorgeous hell hellboy board game out there right now yeah it was just so expensive and i wanted i wanted to get it i could not afford it at the time one of tyler's friends owns it tyler has gotten to play it multiple times and yet i have not and yet i the person who immediately as soon as she possibly could ordered the hellboy omnibus for the library have not yet played the. Hellboy I hear the scare game, quotes around I, that. I, I want to play it so much. Fair enough. It occurs to me that for all we've been like, hey, this is going to be Hellboy. We have not actually said anything about who Hellboy is or okay. why that is an interesting character. So, uh, Jenny, fire away. Do you, do you want to like paper rock scissors to see who gets? <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Um, um, uh, uh, how do we do that? <laughs> I'll count to three so and you yell a, it out at well, the same time. How about this? I'll do my best to, I will do my best to um, introduce the character because we don't have time for a rock, paper, scissors, as hilarious as that would be. <laughs> let's go ahead and let's just introduce the, the character in the comic series real quick and then we'll let you all correct me and, you know, go okay. to town on me. Okay. Uh, so this is a uh, really lovely I believe independent comic series. It's not Marvel or DC, if I remember correctly. It is Dark Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Okay. Uh, The art is by Mike Mignola. Mm -hmm. It is very stunning artwork, uh, very stylized and very heavily shadowed and just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very distinct. Mm -hmm. Hellboy is a character who is a hero, Mm -hmm. to be clear, 
but is a demon that was summoned uh, in uh, at the end of the Second World War by the whole Nazi occult thing. There was this big ritual, and what popped out of the ritual was not the massive demon that you know the the Nazis thought would win the day against the Allies, but a literal infant demon with a funny looking arm. Yeah, pretty close. So he's actually the Prince of Hell. <laughs> He is. So so it's it's not even just like uh, summon a demon, whatever. It's like the the entire arc of the Hellboy comics that I've read, I've not read the whole thing, but the entire arc that I have read has been him continually rejecting his birthright because he knows his birthright is bad wrong. Yeah, his birthright is literally the apocalypse. Yeah. And he holds his left arm is I believe it's the left arm. Right. Is I'm, I'm, the right? I have okay. I have Omnibus Volume Two it's, right here in front of me for reference. Okay. It's literally well, referred to it, as his, the right hand of doom. Yep. Yeah, that's that's it. the The right arm is this basically stone ish key that unlocks hell and brings about the end of the it's world. It's also this big old honking like. Oh yeah, great for hitting monsters. Like, yeah. just fantastic for hitting monsters. Got a with. massive stone gauntlet for a right hand. Yeah. Um, I would very strongly recommend the comic. Okay. Yes. I know, you know, e- even to our most conservative and straight-laced of listeners, I would very strongly recommend Hellboy. Yes. To be clear, there are monsters, there is blood, there's violence, but it is very much a story of somebody rejecting evil and doing good despite their origins. Um, and despite a and lot of external pressure to do evil in a lot of like, cases. Here's... Here's what I call the Hellboy arc. And this is so so part of why I've wanted to do this episode with Mike for so long is I asked Mike, can I talk about Hellboy on Bard and Bible? And he said no. <laughs> Which is very <laughs> fair because it's not it's Bard and Bible is much more of a, a It's a devotional, devotional podcast <laughs> thing. But Hellboy has one of the best examples of what I call the 70 times 7 arc. Mm-hmm. Where it's not exactly a redemption arc because he does not start as a bad guy. However, right. he continually makes mistakes, redeems himself for those mistakes, rejects evil, and redeems himself and others for their mistakes. So it's it's this this up and down continual forgiveness, this forgiveness cycle, the 70 times 7 arc. It's absolutely beautiful. I I adore the way that Mike Mignola has has written that cycle. Because he's definitely done bad stuff, for sure. And we're not saying that he's, you know, actually, you know, perfect or whatever. Uh, he he does make mistakes. He tries his level best, best to fix them as much as he can. Well, one of the things that I love about Red is that he... Oh, my goodness. Red is one of Hellboy's nicknames. One of his nicknames. Yes, because he is red. This is the thing we forgot to mention. He is bright red. Yeah. If if you think of every old scratch depiction of the devil, yeah, he's it, minus the tail. He's Um, got a tail. Oh, wait, no, he does have a tail. Right, he doesn't have the... Right. The the tine or whatever. The goatee is what he's kind of missing. There's a lot of different angles that it works on, because... Yeah, he does make mistakes. Not it's partly due to the fact that he literally is the prince of hell. Yeah. There's also aspects of the fact that when he comes into to being on this planet, 
he's an infant. He mm-hmm. grows up, but he is that guy who grows up bodily infinitely faster than mentally. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. is being sent to do battle with these epic grade monsters because he's the only one physically capable of doing it, but he's basically doing it with the mind of a 14 year old. Yeah. So, oh my so goodness. That's, that's where the two components of his compound name come in. There's the hell and the boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Very much. And so there, there, there are so many times when I've had people go, oh, I really can't stand him because he's just these, you know, one-liners and stupidity. I go, uh-huh, because he's a young teenager yeah, who also has a giant uber gun and can punch through a brick wall. You're going to mm-hmm. get that. <laughs> but one of the things that's great is because the Hellboy arcs went for so long, you got to see him grow and develop. And it's mm-hmm. also interesting to see his personality grow and change because... He's not stupid. Oh, no. Hellboy is incredibly not not stupid. Like, you'd think that if you have this, you know, if you want to bring even, you know, put it in the role-playing, you know, thing. If you have the giant, crazy, uber-punchy barbarian guy, he's stupid. That's that's the archetype. Mm -hmm. Right. I've got two. I've got two of them in in my kids' game right now. Yeah. Hellboy physically is all of that. But at the same mm-hmm. point, so much of the stories and of the that Hellboy is going through, the monsters that he's fighting, are based on old school legends. And you'll you'll have him have these moments where it's like, oh, it's this and this, and in the council of this, he mentions this, and and father so and so of such and such, and he's just reciting this stuff. Yeah, because he also, knows it. <laughs> yeah, he knows it really well. He's studied. He's bothered to study. He also has an intense empathy from what i've read in the comics he knows when people are bothered by something and whether or not them being bothered is you know legitimate or not like i just read uh oh what was it called um it was a mini arc uh not actually illustrated or i think even written by mike mignola uh, called being human mm-hmm. and in which the villain is very clearly hurt because she is continually over and over again resurrecting her dead father her you know decades and decades dead father to basically torture him every single night because you know he kind of tortured her it's hellboy being like oh i understand why you are hurting and that it's okay to hurt however stop (laughs) (laughs) this is not justified in any way he he is incredibly emotionally smart with other people in the comics, at least in the movies, not so much. Um, he's incredibly, it's, he's a lot more brash in, in the movies or he comes off more brash in the movies than he does in the comics. Um, Mm. he's not too bad in the del Toro movies. I would definitely recommend those too. uh, He's still pretty brash. Like he doesn't understand certain kinds of rejection at all. I, I would say yeah, it's not the best take on the character, but it yeah. is not. It's not awful. bad. It's not I, bad. I would, it's basically what yeah. you get when you have Ron Perlman. Yeah. Yes. That, he is, he basically is Ron Perlman with a prosthetic chin. Mm-hmm. Told go play Ron Perlman. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I I do I I adore both movies for very different reasons. They have very different tones, but in terms of the comics, he's he's just this. This guy who has seen rejection by society over and over again, and he has been hurt in so many ways, and so he knows what hurt looks like in other people, and can can really draw on that. 
uh, when he needs to. Also, to be clear, he fights monsters and, like, chases out ghosts and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Just to be super clear okay, about this. Yes, this if, if yes. It's why he's a hero, not just an unlikely person and a good guy. If we're, yes. if we're, bringing, if we're bringing in the backstory for people who might not know, uh, Hellboy is kind of one of the secret weapons of an organization referred to as the BPRD, the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. You know, they get called out when stuff goes real bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if Red's getting called out, stuff got real, real bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't go to, you know, investigate something, you know, that, that just looks shady. Like, like, he's the kind of guy who, like, you know, mysterious cathedrals appeared in, in lakes and, like, weird Japanese demons are, in, in, are embodying this, this old man and, like... That's the yeah, kind of moaning stuff that, noises and cold spots do not merit calling up red. Yeah, no, no, he he goes when it gets real bad. But again, he's still everything about him is this weird dichotomy because you you think that and you go, oh, he's this champion, this great. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time when you see red at home, he is usually sitting in his room with a book surrounded by about 40 cats. Yeah, because he takes in strays. Because of course he does. Mm-hmm. Like, Isn't he, there also a thing about Babe Ruth's? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, I think that's right. He loves the, loves Babe Ruth candy bars. Yep. So anyway, it's a great character. Yes. And the question I have for you is how do we make unlikely heroes in our games without A, being cheesy, or B just pulling from every trope we can and making it predictable, which is not quite the same as cheesy, but, you know, bear with me on that. Yeah. Um, I think it's important that if you if you are going into playing a character saying, I want to play an unlikely hero, are you doing it so that you are facing the consequences of being an unlikely hero? Or do you want a cool, weird look to your character? Which is cool flavor text, but it doesn't necessarily mean much of anything like like and by consequences i mean like complete ostracization from society in some cases or or you are going to get looked at weird you are going to you know run up against some obstacles that a likely hero like like a a soldier with training versus you know a civilian with a baseball bat you know would not Mm -hmm. um that that kind of thing are you are you looking to make things harder for yourself or are you? Do you just want to look real cool? I mean, that's if you actually want to okay. Look I think you just cool, said something really, okay. really important. Hang on, hang on, Peter. Hold okay. on. I think you just said something really important. Are you looking to make it harder for yourself? Mm-hmm. These unlikely heroes do not always. They don't just come from an unlikely background, but have no additional obstacles. Mm-hmm. Those, the thing that makes them unlikely is an ongoing. Obstruction or or yes yeah difficulty. It's something they that is not just in their past, but is in their present, informed by their past, right? A product of their past, but it is causing difficulty for them, and they are in the process of overcoming that, as well as the procedural problem in front of them in the adventure of the week or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That is something that's inherent to that unlikely hero, as opposed to your more classic hero who maybe they came from an unlikely background, but they have proven themselves the best and don't have to worry about that. That's all behind them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, 
if all you want is to look cool, that's also okay and valid. You don't have yeah, to like, you know, swallow this huge pile of consequences just because you want your character to be interesting looking. Yeah, like, like it's it's totally fine to go for a a, a weird looking character because you think it's cool. There is no problem with that. Yeah, I don't think we were gonna go for a lot of like. Um, prejudice or social difficulties with the Gallister twins. I think most of their no. stuff was just kind of internal and they were just very real distinctive looking. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, just to be clear, that was Jenny and I made these characters. We've referenced them a couple of times before, but it was a pair of tiefling celestial warlocks and they'd yeah. like, they'd both been kind of like bleached out and they had like, they were shaped like a tiefling, but they had a very kind of angelic look to both of them. Mm hmm. So, so yeah, for that, we, that was pure aesthetics on our part. It is not bad to just go for aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. But if, if you are saying, I want an unlikely hero, I want an unlikely heroic arc, that is where you are going to be coming up against obstacles. Um, I've had well, to explain let- this to a few people who've, who've come into my library and been like, oh, cool, D&D, how do I play? And then I'm like, this, this, this. So... I want to play a character that looks like this. Okay, awesome. I want them to be basically god tier level, like like sure. super super duper powerful. Starts, and I'm like everybody starts off with that same childish, you know. Oh yeah, I want them to be awesome and have all these cool abilities. Yeah, and it's and it's like okay, so you understand that making your character like this, I like I can't just not give them conflict, right? Like I'm not gonna let you. As, as the GM, if you were in my game, I'm not just going to let you smite things for fun. Because that's yeah. not struggle. It's not a good story. And I'm here for the story. Well, let, let's, right. let's bring Hellboy into this. Look at his mm-hmm. arc. Hellboy, you're like, okay, he's the prince of hell. He's got the right hand of doom, which is literally the key to the apocalypse. He's absolutely giant. He's immune to, like, fire. You can shoot at him and it only makes him mad. Like... He is yeah, you that. can kick him off a 40, you know, a 40 foot drop and he stands up and charges at you. It's like, mm-hmm. right. But if you look at the arc, you have Rasputin coming back from the dead to, to try and multiple times bring about the apocalypse. You have the, the enemies that he faces are equal in scope. Mm-hmm. So like every arc that Hellboy has isn't like. Uh, you know, like like you said, he doesn't go investigate moans in the dark and cold spots. He's literally like a, a a cyclopean terror has you know erupted out of the sea. Go at it, Red. Like, <laughs> like that's that's just what he does. Like, that's what what you step into when you step into that kind of character. It is like I'm out of my depth here, or uh, I'm not supposed to be here. The, the scene from the movie Clerks is just, I'm like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Be here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that sort of stuff. And I think the, the consequences, I actually can give a, I will get very brief, but I, I actually created a character that kind of stepped into that. And I wanted, I wanted her to. Uh, sadly, I didn't really get to play her because that game fell through very quickly. Uh, again, mm. hey, life fun times. Yeah. But, um... It was going to be in a Castle Ravenloft game. Hmm. And I said, I wanted to create a tiefling. And the GM looked at me and said, you realize that's dumb, right? Ravenloft, (laughs) that would not go well for you. I go, I know. 
I said, I wanted to make a hunter. And I wanted the whole shtick to be people hired her because when you hire a monster to hunt a monster, no matter how it ends, a monster dies. Ooh. And I wanted that to be her shtick. Huh. And it did. It made her life miserable. But it made her life incredibly interesting to play for me. And I and no quite kidding. frankly, that that game died so quickly, I want to bring that character back at some point to really, really give it some room. Mm-hmm. But like that I went in knowing doing this is not a boon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the other thing that um immediately comes to mind about this is it's a sliding scale, right? You don't have to take yeah. it all the way to the level of Hellboy himself to to have it be an unlikely hero kind of a character. Um, some of the ones that you'll see, one of the more famous ones, I guess, in in comics is is Daredevil, and it's like, well, you know, he's mm. he's blind, you know, he's got this disability, but he's a superhero anyways. It's like, well, yeah, he is blind, but he's kind of not too. He's got like this sonar sense where he can't necessarily read a newspaper, but in a fight, he's actually probably at a slight advantage because he can knock the lights out and well, he can sure. tell where everybody he's fighting against is even when they can't see him. Yeah. But I one of the also... other things about Daredevil is that he is an unlikely hero, not just because he's blind and, you know, is a lawyer and you don't expect a blind lawyer to also be jumping around rooftops. Right. Both a lawyer and a blind person theoretically have very good reasons to not be doing that. But also he is this very much up from nothing kid from, you know, a, a poor side of town. Yeah, I mean, his dad was was killed by the mob in the thing, the same accident that cost him his sight because he wouldn't throw a boxing match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, or depending on well, the telling. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's multiple there's different stories, of but it, that was but the original Yeah, basically one. his dad died because he wouldn't throw a boxing match and was killed by the mob. That's exactly yeah. right. And... You know, nobody who is working as a a low-end boxer, you know, for the mob is in great shape financially. Yeah. So he's very much this up-from-nothing story, and that makes him an unlikely hero. Mm -hmm. Is he as unlikely as Hellboy? No. But, you know, again, like you said, you don't have to go all the way to, you know, the, the literal bringer of, harbinger of the apocalypse as, you know, a guy fighting ghosts. You can have, there's some room in there. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ground to cover before you get to Hellboy. Yeah. Well, the I'd BPRD like to, is literally filled on, with uh, all Jen, sorts Jenny, of. I, I'm sorry. I cut you off earlier. That's well, okay. And, and Mike was talking was just say. now too. Um, But what I'm going to say now is a lot of the unlikeliness can also stem internally. I am looking specifically at Bilbo here. Who is yeah. such a, a, a Debbie Downer all the time on himself <laughs> and his yes. own skills. Like, so much of it is Gandalf being like, hey, Frodo, or, or hey, Bilbo, hey, Bilbo, please, will you uh, come on an adventure with me? And Bilbo being like, no, I'm going to be a stick in the mud. I'm not feeling it. And then getting dragged along for this huge adventure that he slowly grows into. But a lot of his own unlikeliness is self-generated. He, mm. It's just him not wanting to. <laughs> he just doesn't want to. Even though he knows he can't. Yep. So, All right. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. The, we're also talking about Hellboy. And again, Hellboy is just one of the members of the BPRD. Oh, yeah, for sure. So not only do you have other kind of superpowered people like 
my my favorite is uh, Abe Sapien. Yeah, yeah, Abe is also my favorite. I'm not gonna lie, he uh, is pretty cool. I think I have an unpopular favorite. Who's your favorite? I really, I really like Liz. I like the Firestarter. Liz, like is, Liz, very Liz cool. is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I but... think people get angry because she makes human mistakes. Right. And oh, hold, no. they hold her to this standard where it's like, um, you are th- th- just, no, she's a traumatized person. Please understand she will not be rational all the time. Okay. We, we yeah, do no, need, we I, do need I love to... Liz. She's great. I just love the visual of Abe so much. We need to, oh, we need to double back. Awesome. We need to double back again for the people who are, are playing the home game. Uh, Liz is basically <laughs> a fire starter. She can literally create fire. Uh, the problem is, is that a lot of, it, not all of the arcs, but in a lot of, in some of the arcs, she's not very good at controlling it. <laughs> Yeah. So um, when when Liz makes she's a fire starter, not a fire stopper. Right. When Let's Liz makes exactly. when Liz makes boom, things go boom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Abe Sapien is basically a fish man. Yeah. With with some level of psychic ability, <laughs> a, or, a small degree and, of psychic and, power. Yeah. Yeah. A very erudite fish man, but a fish yes. man. Which yes, I gotta say, as much as I love to say that Guillermo del Toro's casting was genius with Ron Perlman. Having the combination of the mm-hmm. physicality of Doug Jones and yes. the mm-hmm. voice of David Hyde Pierce. Yes. Who oh is not even credited God. by the movie, by the way. You, you, I, you, can't, you can't do better than that. <laughs> you cannot. It's fantastic. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But yeah, um, so Liz is, I'd say... S- sort of a combination of unlikely backstory and self-generating unlikeliness. Um, yeah. In that so much of the arcs that I've seen her in, at the very least, are about her trying not to be a fire starter anymore. Like, the one where I'm most familiar... The, the one I'm most familiar with is where she tries to give her fire starting ability to a homunculus. Yeah. Which creates uh, another pretty cool dude. Um, who, who I like a lot. Um, but anyway, um, it's, she has such a tendency towards self-destructive behavior. Like her giving her fire starter ability away is literally her giving the homunculus a piece of her soul and she starts to die. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I'll die then. <laughs> guess I'll die. At least I'm not going to be starting fires anymore. It's, it's. It's not an especially heroic action. It hugely jeopardizes the mission. And she's sort of racked with guilt about it for a fair while. However, she still does really cool stuff. She is still definitely a a heroic character. She is. And I think that's an important point. Characters make mistakes. All Mm -hmm. heroes should theoretically, unless they are, you know, if... In order to be interesting, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to make mistakes, and how they handle those mistakes is what makes them interesting. Mm-hmm. Do they wallow in it, or do they then say, well, I've made the situation worse, I've hurt other people, I accept responsibility for that, and I'm going to move forward and fix that and the other bigger problem. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if they're one and the same, fix the, the problem. You know, depends on the story, right? Yeah. And Liz does that, and she does that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons she's a great character. I keep kind of coming back to this archetypal hero that unlikely heroes are not, right? Um, 
both of them should struggle with this. It's just a question of what those what those difficulties are mm-hmm. in the long run. You know what I think? Um, you kind of brought this up and this kind of clicked into my head as you were talking, Grant. I think one of the things that makes the entire like Hellboy family so fantastic is it's a bunch of hurting people trying to keep other people from getting hurt. Yeah. Very much. No, that's, Absolutely. that's exactly right. Because even the, even the most put together ones have these incredibly tragic backstories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't even like Bruttenholm have some real tragedy in his past? Oh, yeah. 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 <sighs> Bruttenholm is the guy who's in charge of the BPRD, by the way. He's also kind of like a surrogate father to Hellboy. Is this yeah. very kind, decent man, which is why Red turned out the way he did, most likely. Yeah, very yes. much. <laughs> is he not also so, a devout Catholic? Am I recalling that correctly? He is, and I believe Britain. so is Red, right? I know about devout Catholic for Red, but he was certainly raised Catholic. R- Red, it's hard to tell because he definitely, he has a very pragmatic understanding of religion. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think he holds to it because he definitely holds a lot of, reliquaries i mean mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. heck literally in one of the most famous epic arcs of hellboy he literally wields excalibur uh, you know and and raises up an army of paladins from the british isles so i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like i believe in this because i've seen it work literally like, literally i have used this cross to do terrible things to demons something's gotta be <laughs> yeah all right so other role-playing notes on this it's fun and you should try it if you haven't yet yeah it's absolutely true i do want to circle back around real quick to the the backstory thing Mm -hmm. make sure that you if you're creating a character like this work with your gm gm give room for these things and if you're gming a story that involves some unlikely heroes like this, it's important to strike a balance and talk to the player and determine how much do they want to be hit over the head with the difficulty that they have created, right? Uh, like this tiefling character, for example, that you were talking about, this tiefling uh, hunter, monster hunter character, monster hunter, it sounds like every time you start a mission, you kind of want that to come up. Oh, yeah. And that's great. For others, maybe they just kind of want it to be assumed, but they don't want the GM to be constantly harping on it and making it constantly difficult, Mm -hmm. right? We've talked before about, you know, the character who has absolutely no hooks because hooks are just a way for the GM to hurt you. Like, this is... the, The player is making a character who is intentionally vulnerable. Do not take advantage of that. Play into that. It is a cooperative game where you are telling a story together that includes that character... It is not a game in which the GM beats up the character for showing vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to give you um, some sense here, like my entire current player group for this game that I just started running is an unlikely hero to one extent or another. I have a swarm of crickets that was formed by Bard Song Gone Awry. Which is just genius, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Also, also a bard. I have a sapient house cat. 
I have. You say as my cat yells in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not editing thank that you. out. Thank you, Cat Jenny. Uh, give her an extra treat for me. That was perfect. <laughs> she did her job. <laughs> Let her know that the the fish is in the mail. Um, <laughs> no, D- you don't. I would know not. She... I would never countenance mailing fish, especially. Oh over no, no, an no! She border. is allergic to fish. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. You I thought we know. were going to do That's the stinky a... fish in the mail joke here, but yeah, I have an ex-slave half-orc who is the captain of the ship. I have a a high elf warlock who is a former librarian who hey. kind of stumbled into their patron. Hmm. And I, I have an ex-con who is bonded to the fae. Is somebody LARPing Jenny? <laughs> I was just no. saying, like, it's not hard to stumble into being a warlock if you're a former librarian. There's just warlock patrons in the stacks all the time, huh? Would you like eldritch power? Is, you uh, no, I think I'll pass. Some, you would be shocked at some of the books I immediately felt the need to discard. <laughs> is, is there patron the Goblin Queen? <laughs> May as well be. Uh, by the way, now I now I picture, like... Her being like some feline humanoid that shapes into like a female version of David Bowie from Labyrinth <laughs> and is married to him. <laughs> He's the Goblin King, so like whatever humanoid yeah. form she has must be the Goblin Queen. All right. Yep. <laughs> All right. I don't often do this, but I'm going to invoke the internet. Artists of the world. <laughs> I demand that image. I guarantee they have beat you to this. <laughs> I demand that image. <laughs> Cat Jenny is a black cat. <laughs> yes, I can. I can provide pictures if needed, but I. She is a. Black, we're gonna. Short-haired we're, what cat. we're gonna get if somebody does this is we're gonna get half Selena Kyle and half David Bowie, and I am here for but, it. Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I'm asking for. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about you, and you uh, know it, don't you? All right. Any Do other we actually have anything else at this point? Or? I don't no. think so. I, I think it's just worth mentioning that, you know, this is a good character uh, archetype to lean into. And it's a very mm-hmm. broad one, right? We're talking very about broad. something even bigger than an archetype, perhaps. We're talking about a, her, you know, a heroic role in a story. Yeah, you know what I, what I will say? I guess I do have one last point is this is a very... As we referenced it kind of at the beginning of the the main discussion here, this is an archetype you see a lot in scripture and it's difficult, but it's also very rewarding and it has a lot of dramatic meat on its bones. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you are getting to the point where you want to play something a little more challenging or you want to play something a little more in depth rather than going full edge Lord, (laughs) Maybe give this a shot instead, because you, you get some of, like, the, the outsider stuff, but you also get to mix it with, like, regular heroic stuff, and it will inform the relationship that you have with the rest of the party. In, instead of isolating your character, if the rest of your group is at all good, frankly, and, well, I suppose conducive to this kind of storytelling, too, what you will probably wind up with is a little bit of, like, the found family story, because that's kind of what happened in the colony game. We had two very unlikely heroes and one pretty likely one. Lambert was not a terribly unlikely hero. He was <laughs> privileged and trained and that was kind of his job. But Garm and Aster were definitely unlikely heroes. And that made for some absolutely phenomenal role playing. So, yeah, give this some serious thought if you're looking for something a little different or a little challenging. 
Absolutely. All right. Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Pretty much everything that is tied to me on the internet is tied to inroads. It's I N N roads ministries, because of course all roads lead to the inn. Uh, inroadsministries.com is our website that can get you to everything. If you're on a social media page, if I'm on it, it's inroads. Um, yeah. And if you are going to find yourself at uh, PAX Unplugged in December, please find me. I will be the idiot shouting in a bad Scottish brogue about how I need stories. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I will give you a button. So <laughs> excellent. I wish I were going. I can, uh, I so can do I. get a button. Uh, and also, Let's talk about the tavern real quick. Let's. Yes. It's my favorite part of the internet. Uh, the tavern is our Facebook group. It is a just amazing collection of humanity. Uh, every once in a while, we have a weird flare up of somebody who wants to, you know, get their dander up. But from the very beginning, the tavern has been established as a place where people just come to hang out. We don't hide the fact that we're a religious organization. We don't hide the fact that probably. The majority of people in there come from some shape or form of, of Christian faith, but we have literally all types in there, uh, not only from all aspects of, of Christendom, but also people from other faiths, people who have no faith, but just love games and or love people in the tavern. Uh, it's just a really cool place to get together to talk about games and one thing that is cool is that that we do we we really do have a loving and supportive community there. It's a really unique thing, and I, I don't I don't want to say this to, to like toot my own horn, as it were. Pretty but, smart and thoughtful community too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've I've been a part of a lot of Christian groups on Facebook, and wow, a lot of them go a certain way very quickly, and. Like I said, other than we have a couple flare-ups, but really the 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 couple admins that we have don't even have to get to it because literally the community itself is like, no, we're about unity here. You need to chill out a little bit. Or, hey, have you thought about this aspect to what you're saying and how that might affect all these people who are sitting over here? Like, we don't even really have to moderate because the community itself takes care of itself because, mm -hmm. because they love and support each other. And I... I have said over and over and over again, uh, Facebook is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I would gladly remove <laughs> it from my life, but then it would mean removing the tavern and I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think on that note, we're in a good spot to wrap up here. We absolutely yeah. are. Mike, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. It is an thank absolute... you for talking about Hellboy with me. Uh, I, I don't get an... I we don't... did it! <laughs> we did it! Uh, You've been wanting to do this for like years i have i have been on multiple podcasts that says we need to have you come back to talk about hellboy but for some reason or another it's always fallen through so i have first been, yeah i have been jonesing <laughs> we to, got him everybody <laughs> yeah. i i uh, i will say if there's one thing that i would end on to kind of wrap up my personal love of hellboy as uh, above and beyond what i've already said uh this is a comic book that, depending on the arc you're talking about, you have the most epic moments. Like, I'm not kidding. Uh, the Wild Hunt is one of the most oh. epic things ever. And it literally is Hellboy wielding Excalibur that Arthur bestows upon him to lead the knights 
of the of the fallen realms of England against Nimue and the forces of hell. Like like that moment happens. And and it's it's amazing. And I won't say anything else of what happens there or if you don't know Arthurian legend who Nimue is or how that does or doesn't actually play off, but that there's that. You have that teamed up with epically silly things like the legendary line that monkey has a gun blam 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 <laughs> if you don't know <laughs> or what i'm talking in the first in the first page of the first comic uh you've got frogs <laughs> you've got frogs frogs <laughs> you've got frogs <laughs> um but yes if you don't know what i'm talking about you can literally go into google and type in that monkey has a gun you'll just see countless images of frames of the comic it's Abe Sapien, it's Hellboy, and then it is a monkey with a gun. Who has a gun. I, yep. All yes. you have to do is type in that monkey, and Google recommends it about has halfway a gun. down the list of suggestions. Exactly. Yep. Um, it The the series, as it, uh, I, you know, with a character like this, there's always potential for it to come back. Mike McNola's still out there making stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if it's literally wrapped up because, you know, comic books, but the ending of Hellboy's arc as it stands currently is a profoundly quiet and beautiful moment. And it, it makes sense because Hell one of the things that, that, that is, is out there is the idea is not how a person starts its life. It's not how, what they do. It's how they end it. And Ugh. holy crap. That yeah, it's it. The ending is weird, and if you haven't read a lot of the other stuff, it's not going to make sense. But if you're willing to just go through and see the arc of this character and see and enter into the quiet weirdness of that ending, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Huh. I still have yet to read that ending. I'm looking forward to it. It's good. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note. Let's wrap this up. Thank you for listening, folks. We really appreciate it. If you like this episode, share it around. And of course, join us on Discord. Uh, Go to our website, stgcast.org. You can find links to all of our social media, our Discord, and everything else there. And for all of of us at Saving the Game and at Roads Ministries, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.